Hey everybody, we are here. We are live. We are alive. And glad to be with you today here on New Hope Radio. 1590 AM, dial 92.7 FM. 12.30 Eastern Time, every Monday through Friday, just to give you a little heads up on that. And don't forget, we're on Facebook as well, newhopecc.tv. Click Facebook, click YouTube. And uh, these programs later on become a podcast, which you can catch later at the Hope Club. The Hope Club Podcast. That's where you find it. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. I like Spotify the best. Uh, Buzzsprout. A lot of places to go and find the Hope Club Podcast. So check us out there and it's always good to get these programs on demand. How important that is to, you know, you can listen later or get a friend to listen. And we want to just get the word of God out there as far and as wide as we possibly can. Oh, we got a good topic today. I'm really glad you tuned in. We are going to give you a beautiful picture today and something we need to see because I think we forget. Sometimes we're a little forgetful, but Jesus is going to give us a beautiful picture. Here it comes of the grace of God, God's grace. What does God's grace look like? We're going to see it today. And you know the great thing about the Lord? When he showed grace, (laughs) a lot of times he did it around food. He did it around a meal. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to take a look at four meals that Jesus had, and he demonstrated beautiful grace, true grace. Now, in Luke chapter 7, verse 33, people complained. They always complained about Jesus, you know that? And they said, you know, John the Baptist, he came eating no bread and drinking no wine, And they called him demonized. They said he had a demon. Jesus said this. Jesus is confronting the religious people. He's saying, you know, John came. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. You called him. You said he had a demon. And uh, then when I came, I came eating and drinking. And you said, oh, I'm a glutton. And I'm a drunk. And I'm a friend of bad people. Tax collectors and sinners and all that. And, uh, you know, when John came, they said he never ate and never drank, but he was demonized. Jesus came, they said he ate too much and he drank too much, and his friends weren't any good. (laughs) They were all bad people. And Jesus couldn't do anything right in the eyes of, oh, here it comes, religious people. That's right. In the eyes of religious people, it's like Jesus couldn't do anything right. And the real problem here is not what Jesus ate or how much he drank. You know what the real problem was they had with him? Who he did it with. They didn't like the crowd that Jesus ran with. They didn't like it. So we're going to take a look at some meals where Jesus demonstrated true grace. And I really hope today that this has an impact upon each and every one of us. I know it does on me. And I hope it does on all of us. In verse 36, 
where were we? We were in like in what? Luke chapter uh, 7. One of the Pharisees was questioning him to dine with him. And Jesus accepted. You know, he never turned down a dinner invitation, no matter who asked him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city, uh uh-oh, she was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, she was weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hairs of her head. And she was kissing his feet and anointed them with the perfume. I want you to notice the drama and the social status of what's going on in the house. You know, Jesus lived in a time of hierarchical society. In other words, you had the haves and the have-nots. People that were considered valuable by them and those that were considered unimportant by those same people (laughs) that consider themselves valuable. Right? And if you look at the hierarchy of Rome, Rome was the highest hierarchy. They had the power, the control. They were the top dogs. The emperor was the top dog of all the top dogs. The emperor of Rome. And then you had, under them, rich people. Many of them were the tax collectors. And a lot of the tax collectors were Jewish And they worked for the Roman government. They had a lot of money because their pay was whatever they wanted it to be. They collected taxes and they gave a percentage to Rome and they collect the rest. Then we had another group called the judicial system. Oh, these were the high priests. They were very wealthy. They had big yards, big houses. When Jesus was arrested, he was brought to the court of the high priest. I think of the high priest and I think of the, uh, the preachers today that are all multimillionaires. You'd be surprised, some of the guys you watch on TV, and you really like them. And they're multimillionaires. I was shocked when I saw some of them. And I'm like, why do they have to have so much money? You're born again. You're a preacher of the gospel. Why do you have multi-millions in the bank when you could do so much good with it. But that's another story. I don't know. They'll stand before God. Then under them, you've got the Sadducees. This, these, oh, this was the ruling aristocracy. There weren't many of them, but they had a lot of clout. And they were pretty well off. And then under them, you had the Pharisees. These were the teachers of Israel, kind of like the pastors today. They weren't very wealthy. But they were very concerned, not so much about the people's welfare, but about keeping the rituals and the laws of God. They were considered the separated ones. And what were they separated from? The common people. You know, another name for the common people was the people of the land. That's why Pharisee means separated one. They wouldn't mix it up with everyday Joes. You know, they crossed the street. They wouldn't get in their lives. They were separated from them. 
And then under them, you had a low class of people, the Jewish sinners and the publicans. They were social outcasts, uh, ethically and morally. And then, you know, the lowest of the low, you get to the bottom now, you know who they were? The lepers. Or people with a contagious disease. Okay, so I wanted to show you this hierarchy because it really plays into the story. So let's get back to the story. Jesus is eating in the house of a Pharisee, okay? Separated one, separated from the people of the land, the common folk. And one of the Pharisees, they said, Jesus, come to my house tonight. Now, who do the Pharisees not want to have any contact with? The common people, the people of the land. Like, no, man, you don't go in the Pharisees' house. They don't want them there. They don't want lepers. They don't want sinners. They don't want common people. Why? Because they're separated from them. So Jesus is dining in the house of the Pharisee. Oh, you're not going to believe what happened. One of these sinners comes right into the house. (laughs) Right into the Pharisee's house. The house is probably full of Pharisees. And she sits at Jesus' feet. And she begins to touch his feet. And she begins to wash his feet and wipe his feet. And you know what Jesus did? He accepted her. He accepted her offering. He accepted her offering. You know why? Because he was, oh, here it comes, accepting her heart. And Jesus saw beyond her life, and he looked into her heart. You know, that's what grace does. Grace does that. Grace looks into your heart. That was a graceful meal for that woman, even though she wasn't invited. Jesus used the meal as an opportunity to demonstrate grace. And you might be familiar with the rest of the story where, you know, the Pharisees like, you don't know who this woman is that's touching you? And Jesus said, let me tell you something. And he told a story about two debtors. And he wrapped it up by saying, the one who was forgiven the most loves the most. And he wanted the Pharisee to see. She was forgiven the most. And that's why she loved him so much, because of forgiveness. Graceful meal number two. I'm going through these kind of quickly. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. Now, Levi, right, was tax collector. He was, he was at the, the, the lower end, right above the lepers in the hierarchy. And believe it or not, Jesus said to him, this is Levi called Matthew, follow me, <laughs> be my disciple. You know what Matthew did? He got up and he followed him. And it happened that Jesus was reclining at the table in Levi's house, And all the other tax collectors were there too, and other sinners. 
Because you see, birds of a feather, right? They flock together. You know, the Pharisees, they hang out together in the Pharisee's house. But now you get the tax collectors and the sinners, they hang out together in the tax collector's house. And there were many of them, Mark said. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with, uh uh-oh, sinners and tax collectors, you know what they said to his disciples? Why is he eating and drinking with these people? What's wrong with that? Doesn't he know who these people are? Now, that's a legitimate question. You know, uh, you know what they're really asking? What category of people is Jesus in? What, what category does Jesus fit in? Is he in the valuable or the unimportant? What category? In other words, who is worthy and who is unworthy? Who is worthy and who is unworthy of your master's attention, of your master's company? You know, I think about that, and I'm like, ooh, don't we do that sometimes? Do we ever do that? Do we ever ask the question without asking it, who is worthy of my attention? Who's worthy of my company? And who is not? You know, we might do that unconsciously. Without words, who's worthy of my company? Who's unworthy of my company? You know, how do, we, how do we ask that? Well, it might come in the realm of who can help me? Who can do things for me? Who's valuable to me? And then we ascribe to them worthiness and we invite them over. But then there might be those that, oh, they can't help me. They're not valuable to me. And you know what? We don't invite them over. So Jesus goes to the house of a tax collector. Why? To show them grace. To show grace. Every time he got around a meal with these people, he showed the grace of God. Grace meal number three. Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, uh uh-oh, the leper. Notice how we're going down the hierarchy. A Pharisee, the tax collector, oh, now the leper. Now we're like hitting rock bottom on this one. And he's in a leper's house. Like, you don't go to leper's houses. You don't talk to them. You don't touch them. You cross the street when you see them. And you're in his house. And you're eating? A woman came to him with an alabaster vial of costly perfume. Another woman. Here we go again. Another lady came bringing an offering to Jesus. She anointed him with beautiful perfume. Why did Jesus go to the lepers? Because lepers can't go to church, they can't go to the temple. It's off limits. But I want you to notice where grace goes. Grace goes to the Pharisees. Grace goes to the tax collectors. Grace goes to the sinners. Grace goes to the lepers. You notice Jesus didn't go to the home of the high priest to have dinner. He didn't go to the home of the emperor 
to have dinner. Why? He doesn't eat with famous people. Why doesn't he go to the rich and the powerful and the famous people? You know why? Because he's defining what the kingdom is like, what the kingdom of God is like. What is the kingdom of God like? Oh, it's like all kinds of people. All kinds of people go in the kingdom of God. It's, it's open to everybody. doesn't matter what race you are, what language you speak, what you do for a living. It's open for everybody. What part of the world you live in, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is, see, the grace of God, it has appeared to all men, to all people. The grace of God is not limited. It's not specific. You know, it's not, it doesn't discern between the valuable and the invaluable, the important and the unimportant. It's for everybody. And that's why when we understand the grace of God, we don't make a determination like that either. Let me give you the fourth graceful meal. And this was Jesus' last one. It was the Last Supper. The last meal that Jesus had with his friends, the disciples. This was a very important meal. Matthew 26. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me. He's eating with a betrayer. Being deeply grieved, they each, went, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, The one who dips his hand with me in the bowl, that's the one who will betray me. And then Jesus said, Listen, the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. It's all prophesied. It's all set up ahead of time. Oh, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if he had never been born. Wow. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Rabbi, not I. And Jesus said, It's you. You said it yourself. And while they were eating, here's what Jesus did. He took some bread. Now, Judas had gone. He wasn't part of the communion. After a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. And when he took a cup and gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Fellowship around food answers the question, To whom do I belong? Jesus wants these disciples to know they belong to him and he belongs to them. So here's where we have to ask ourselves a question. What do I do to ascribe more value or worth to myself? Am I the one that ascribes worth to me? Do I wear certain clothes so I feel important? drive a certain car? Do I carry a certain handbag, ladies? Do I use a particular shampoo 
Or do I wear a special cologne? You know, how, how do I ascribe value to myself? Then ask yourself, what do I look for in people to ascribe value or worth to them? To see if they're worthy of my company. You know, do they have good looks? Do they have youth? Can they do things for me? That'll make them invaluable to me, right? You see what we do? Sometimes we just like the Pharisees. We ascribe value to ourselves by what we wear and what we own and how we carry ourselves and how much money we spend on ourselves because we want to be around those kind of people. And then we ascribe value to others that can't do those things. They're at the bottom of the hierarchy. They're in the food line. They drive junky cars. They go to the food bank. They can't do anything for me. See, let me ask, what is loneliness? It is not having an identity or a sense of belonging. That's loneliness. When you don't feel like you belong anywhere. See, the Pharisees had the Pharisees. The sinners and the tax collectors, they had the sinners and the tax collectors. The lepers had the lepers. But none of that was representative of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about small cliques or groups that share a commonality. That's not the kingdom of God. Here is your identity. This is what Jesus tried to say, I think, in all of these meals, these four grace meals. You know what Jesus was telling them? Here's your identity. You belong to me. You belong to me. I'm accepting you right where you are. Take, eat. This is my body. There is a oneness that we share. I want you to eat of me. Drink that cup. This is my blood. There's a oneness there. And when Jesus said it to his disciples, he said, all of you do this. All of you. This is a worldwide invitation to partake of Jesus Christ. Worldwide. See, the grace meal. The grace meal with Jesus, it's a meal of identity, of acceptance, of sharing. See, it's a spiritual matter. It's what it is. And when we get back to having church gatherings, even around food, you know what? That's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual time. Jesus used food. See, food was a spiritual tool for Jesus because it's something that people gathered around. And when you gather around food, you know what? Your guard is down because it's relaxing. It's like being at home. And, and God wants us to know our identity is not in what level of the hierarchy we've been placed in. That's not your identity. Your identity is not, oh, are you, are, are you on the high end because you're really wealthy? Or are you on the low end because you're dysfunctional and you can't get it together? 
Are you in the middle because you're like getting by week by week? That's not your identity. God wants your identity to be him. Our identity is Christ. Oh, and you know what that does? Makes us all equal. (laughs) It makes us all the same. Now nobody's higher. Nobody's better. Nobody has more value than someone else. Nobody is less important than someone else. We have an equality with Christ. That's why Paul could say, you know, in Christ, there's no bond or free, rich or poor, male or female. You know, it's like, we're all, we're all one. <laughs> it's so cool. God has found a way to make us all one in Christ. And the rich guy can sit next to the poor guy in Christ. And the servant can sit next to the company owner in Christ. And it's okay. And we have that commonality. It's a beautiful thing. When you walk into the doors of the church, you walk into real equality. What you own doesn't matter. Where you live doesn't matter. Is it a gated community or a third floor high rise? It doesn't matter. What matters is we're all one in Christ. That's what matters. See, God has done that for us. God did that for us. He found a way to put us all on the same page. Oh, I like that. We're all on the same team. So those that have ascribed too much value to themselves, this should humble you. And those that have ascribed no value to yourself, well, this should exalt you and raise you up because you have value. You have great value. We all have great value. How do I know? Because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He died for the rich, for the poor, the important, the unimportant. Whatever man has ascribed to you, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. It's what God has ascribed to you. God has ascribed to you righteousness and justice and holiness and perfection and hope and eternity. God has ascribed all of that to you. And that's what we need to live in. Live in that. Live in the new creation that God has made you to be. You know why? Because that's grace. That's the grace of God. I'll see you tomorrow.